right. Good morning, everybody. It is April 4th, uh, which also happens to be um uh, also happens to be my stepmom, Kathy May's birthday. So happy birthday, Kathy. I do a fun little shout out for you in the morning. Um, all right. So we got a lot of stuff going on today. Wow. Oh, I am so glad we made that decision in the middle of this last time <laughs> uh, of prepping because there was no way. This this is going to be quite the uh, quite the setup that we're going to go through today. Um, in fact, yeah, I got to move this over just a touch here. There we go. Um, yeah. Wow. So much information, so much that we're going to go through. It's a lot of fantastic information, great information to be going through, especially with what we're dealing with online or online, what we're dealing with, uh, in life right now, uh, what we're going through with the COVID-19 situation, which just seems to continue to grow, uh, at crazy rates. Um, especially here in Idaho, the growth curve is, is intense right now. So please, if you're in Idaho, uh, you know, do what you can, do your part, use some wisdom, use some grace and some love. And, uh, and also understand if people are out, chances are they're, uh, they have, have a, a reason and they have a need. And so have some grace and some love and compassion for people who are out there too, guys. Don't be, don't be rude. I've been having people send me videos of people going absolutely crazy and insane out there. So just have a heart, you know, take some time. It's all good. Mm. All right, so before we hop into this one, I want to give a really, really, really quick recap as to what we're looking at uh, and what we've been dealing with. Because if you were here on Thursday and you watched this Thursday or if you watched it between Thursday and now, um, you know that this last one was a major transition. Um, Peter had been talking about all sorts of different things, but primarily saying, hey, look, we understand persecution's happening. You guys are, are suffering and struggling. Things are getting nasty. They're just getting worse. And saying there's really a way that we need to act and we need to mind how we're being when we're out in the world and and with people, right? There is a, a, a necessary way to act. Like there's a Christian call to being in life. Like, how do we act in life? Okay, so history-wise, again, this is probably 62 to 64, maybe latest 65 or 66 uh, AD under Emperor Nero in Rome. Um, he's writing to Asia, the, the churches and the Christians in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And likely this happened right around the Great Fire of Rome that Nero used as a catalyst to launch massive campaigns against uh, the Christians to persecute and undermine and try to get rid of Christians and Christianity. Um, so talking about massive persecution on a scale that we don't see here in the States right now um, in other countries and parts of Asia where the church has gone underground and things of that nature, um, they see massive persecution. This this makes sense to them, you know, and those cultures, they they get this and they understand what's happening. And, and this culture, it's a little harder to understand and to comprehend. So with that in mind, he goes over this whole thing, uh, ends last week's discussion with, or last week's, excuse me, last Thursday's discussion by saying, okay, there's a reason that you need to act a certain way, right? It's because you're God's chosen people. You're a holy priesthood. You're you're a part of the body. There's a reason that you're representing this. You're, you're a representative of God, and there's a reason you need to act this way. And now he's coming into this transition. It's happened, and now he's saying, now here's what you need to do. And so this lesson today uh, is the gospel and the social order, and we're going to go over uh, Peter's calling to Christians in, in that place at that time, again, under massive persecution. So that's why this is such a timely message and, and such a timely uh, uh, book and epistle to be going through, which is why we're, we're studying this right now, is because it makes sense for the time. Um, we're not necessarily under persecution, but we're in the middle of a situation to where things are kind of dire and they're not looking the greatest. There's conflicting reports as to how bad it really is and whether or not people need to respond in a certain way. And Peter just comes flat out and says, look, this is this is God's calling on your life. We, we need to respect and we need to do this. And this is how we need to handle ourselves in our lives. And so we're going to dig in to this. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to try really hard not to just be offensive to people because that's not the goal. Um, however, please keep in mind, if this does hit you and strike a nerve in some way, uh, perhaps take that as a, as the Holy spirit hitting you and impressing on you saying, maybe you need to change yourself a little bit. And we all have things in our lives that are like that, where we listen to something, we dig into the word and we realize I've been living outside of this. I've been living outside of God's order and God's call. So I need to change myself. And so my, my goal here isn't necessarily to, um, hit anybody. Um, it's not to make anybody feel a certain way, but it is to dig into the word and to actually get some clarity into this and some understanding with what's going on. And also then be able to turn that and apply that into today's world with what's happening right now. Uh, so let's go ahead and get, dig into this, um, grab your coffee every morning, right? Gotta have it. Mm. And let's, let's dig in, go ahead and say hi in the chat room. So we know you're there. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll get into this. All right, and this is First Peter. We're going all the way from chapter 2, verse 13, into chapter 3, verse 7. And today we're going to be going out of the NASB, or the New American Standard Bible. It's a little bit older, but it's also a pretty pretty accurate translation. It's a pretty, pretty nice translation. So here we go. 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as, as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves, or other translations say bond servants, of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is it, excuse me, what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously." And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, Oh, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not merely be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry, but putting on dresses, or excuse me, or putting on dresses. Wow, I'm having fun this morning. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Okay, and that's and that's the section that we're going through today. Now, I'm going to stop. I'm going to just, I, I can already 
feel, not necessarily completely, but <laughs> the the questions of, okay, that's a lot of verses for for the wives and and one verse for the husbands. We'll get there. We'll get there in a bit. Okay, this is a lot to go through, but I promise you that one verse for the husbands has a lot. In fact, in my notes, I have more notes for that single verse of husbands than all of the ones for the wives combined. So there, there's a lot inside of that that gets broken down. So just have some patience. Let's go through this because there really is a lot in this section. Okay, we're going to break this down. So 13 to 17, we're going to see the gospel and the government. How are we supposed to respond to the government and their uh, either hindrance or call on our lives, right? Next, we see from 18 to 25, the gospel and work. Okay, they talk about slavery, and we'll get into that when we get there. Uh, but we're going to take this because we don't really have a lot of slavery anymore, right? Um, at least not in this concept. We're fighting the slavery that's still at hand. Uh, but in this concept, we don't have this, but we do have a regular, regular work life. So we're applying this to our work in 18 to 25. And then we have the gospel in our spouses, right? Chapter three, verses one to seven. So let's get into this. We're going to go 13 to 17. Now in this whole section, the gospel and government, all the way through 13 to 17, but really from verses chapter two, verse 13, all the way through chapter three, verse seven, Peter is very urgently urging Christians to willingly submit to all legitimate authority. And I say urgently urges because let's remember the historical context here. This is happening under massive persecution under Roman rule under Emperor Nero. It's a nasty time in a nasty place. Okay, Rome wasn't necessarily a nasty place, but for Christians and for minorities and for a lot of people, it really was. Okay, a lot of great things came out of Rome, but... A lot of nasty things came out of Rome, and at this time, things were really, really bad for Christians, and they were just getting worse. And Peter is urging all Christians in this area, saying, I know it's hard. I know you're being persecuted. I know things are happening that you don't like and you don't want to follow, but this is God's call, and we need to submit. God's will is for us to submit to our authority. Okay, so let's look at this. 13, submit yourselves. This is actually a forceful command, okay? This isn't necessarily just like a, hey, guys, it's probably best if you do this. No, he's forcefully commanding and saying, you need to do this, but it's still voluntary. I'm not there. They didn't have guns then, but I'm not there with a gun to your head saying you need to do this. No, it's, it is still a voluntary. You need to weigh this out with your soul between you and God, but this is God's will Overall, kind of blanket, state, blanket statement style, this is God's will. You need to submit yourselves and to a voluntary submittal, okay? And this is going to, uh, we're going to pull here from Romans 13, uh, verses 1 to 2, but really it goes all the way to 7. So if you want to dig a little deeper, go, go all the way to 7 with this one. Um, but he says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. That's pretty pretty strong stuff. That's a pretty strong statement. And here, Peter's saying the same thing. For the Lord's sake, Submit yourself to every human institution. He's just reiterating the same thing, saying, guys, you need to do this, okay? Now, whether it's to king as one authority, king, I think we all get our grasp the concept here, that is the country's leader. Um, some will say, uh, what are some of these translations have it as uh, supreme king or supreme ruler, uh, king supreme, some, some of that nature. Um, it's just saying your supreme ruler, the, the head, the top, right? What we would have now would be like a president, okay? Submit to the head of that country, okay? That's your country leader. Or 14, 
or to the governors. Now, governors in Greek and in Roman times, governor was what they used for everyone sent by the king out to govern over a specific region. So our uh, governors of states are a governor. Our mayors would be considered a governor. Um, our councils would be considered governors, right? Okay, so governor is someone who rules under a smaller region than the country. And it looks like we're going to get Pickles the cat to try to join in on the study. Hi, Pickles. Thanks. Um, and this, um, talking about then punishment, they're sent for punishment of the evildoers and also praise of those who do right. We're going to go to Romans 13 again, but we're going to go uh, four to seven. So we're going to look at the second half of that. Uh, for actually, you know what? I have it down here is only four to five. I cut out six and seven, but you can still read six and seven on your own. Uh, for it is a minister of God. <laughs> for it is a minister of God to you for who good. Uh, but if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Like saying that, you, yes, there's punishment involved, but our conscience matters too. We need to be in the right mind and we need to, we need to hold ourselves accountable for our own conscience as well, right? We need to make sure that we in good conscience can do these things as well. Now, 15, the will of God. For such is the will of God. By doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, will of God, Peter's telling them, quite frankly, 13 to 15, you need to submit for the Lord's sake. It is God's will. God's authority is backing this. God is backing this. Peter is just letting them know what God's already said and has said to multiple people in multiple places. This is necessary, right? Okay, it is the will of God. God is backing Peter in this statement. And to silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is saying that your godly living, living a good life, living a right life, not having deceit, not uh, beating people, not going out and trying to cause issues, right? Your godly living will counter false accusations. Doing good in life and doing good in the world is going to help your reputation to where when people try to say, oh, this person stole or this person said this about, no, your life is going to counter all of these false accusations. There will be people around you to help with that as well. Okay. And then we have 16. Freedom calls for wisdom. Okay. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves or bond servants of God. Okay. Wisdom, or excuse me, freedom is for wisdom. And it's also not an excuse just because we're free to do things and we're not bound under the original law does not mean that we can do whatever we want. And doesn't mean that we should do whatever we want. We need to use our wisdom and our discernment as to what's best and to go through this and match that up with the word of God. Okay. If we feel something's best, we need to double check with the word of God and make sure it doesn't go against the word. Because if it goes against the word, then it's not God's will for our lives. Okay. Amen. That's crazy. Wow. I'm so used to just being with people. This <laughs> is all right. So uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 6 12. Um, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then we're going to look at Galatians 5, 13 to 15. Uh, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, meaning for an opportunity to sin. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Okay. Do not use this freedom as an opportunity to push for sin. Okay. People who use their freedom, the I'm saved, therefore I can do whatever I want, right? To sin, they're, they're going about this the wrong way. 
right? The, the scripture here in Galatians specifically talks about that. Don't use your freedom as a chance to just push for sin. It is an excuse for sin. This is not an excuse for you to go and live however you want. You are still bound by this, right? Not bound by the law, but you are bound by Christ's law. You're bound by the Holy Spirit. You're sealed. You're, you're God's kingdom. Okay. And 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We are to honor all, all people with love and respect. Okay. We are called to honor all. Now that's going to move us into gospel and work. I'm going to go back for one second. I just want to look at this guys. It is our calling especially in difficult times like this, it is important for us to remember that we are called to be under the subject of the government. And right now it's really, really difficult. Okay. The government has put out mandates saying you need to be staying at home for the good of the people. We need to be staying at home. We are to use wisdom and discernment Okay, the Bible tells us, and we're looking at this today, the Bible tells us that we need to go under and respect the authority of our government. Our government is not going against the word of God. In fact, most of Jewish hygiene code was there for getting rid of and preventing the spread of disease. Okay, the scriptures are abound with reasons for us to actually stay home right now. We have technology. We have the means to continue to study with the word. We have means of communicating with other people. Um, it is actually a good thing for us to stay home right now. And I find reason and cause in scripture to go ahead and do this and to follow this authority. It's not going against this. And it doesn't mean to stop praying. It doesn't mean to stop studying. It doesn't mean to stop taking care of and reaching out and, and making sure people are getting what they need and are taken care of. But we are called to protect and to serve others. And right now, one of the best ways we can do that is by preventing the spread of this disease. And so it is actually okay for us to stay home. It's not against God's call to stay home right now. Okay. Uh, the gospel and work. 18 to 25. Servants. We're going to stop right there at that first word. Servants. Half of Rome, roughly, somewhere between one-third, historic, historians will let you know that somewhere between one-third and one-half of Rome were servants, were slaves, okay? Half the population nearly were slaves in all of Rome. Now, in the Christian population, it was even a higher percentage. It was probably more than half. Um, some even pushed that up to about 65, close to 70% of all Christians in Rome were slaves. That's a crazy degree. But historically, we need to look at this and realize that historically, Christianity appeals to the marginalized, okay? It appeals to those who are subjected and are under and, and really are down on how people would say they're down on their luck. They're in a really nasty situation. Christianity does appeal to these people. And so it's not that, um, it's not that odd to think that the percentage of Christians were even higher than the actual population of Rome as far as um, percentage-wise of servants and of slaves. Okay. But 18, servants, there's a percentage number there for you. Be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. And yes, we all know bosses who are both of those, right? Be submissive even to the bad. We're looking here at, at Colossians chapter three. Okay. Da, 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 where are we at? 18. Here we go. Colossians 3, 22 to 24, slaves, in all things, also workers, we'll just say, in all things, obey those who are your masters or bosses on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Okay, we've talked a lot about the inheritance, right? It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, okay? So we're saying work and do everything that you're doing as for the Lord. And we need to submit. Even if we have a bad boss, we still need to submit under that boss and that authority, knowing that the reward may come later, but having that good life can make an impact on people's lives today. And so we need to submit and we need to go that way. 
19, for this finds favor. Okay, favor. We're going to look here at Matthew 19. We've got a few things. Matthew 19, 27 to 30. This is uh, Peter actually asking Jesus. So Peter's speaking with some authority here, saying he's finding favor, because he's talked specifically to Christ, to Jesus about this matter. And so this was Jesus's response to him. Then Peter said to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you that you who have followed me, meaning currently, like right then and there, like physically in the regeneration, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or farms for my name's sake, basically everyone else who's, who's left and moved on, right? And, and willfully leaving their lives to go and follow Jesus, to, to submit under Jesus, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. There is great reward in this. And that is favor. There's favor. Okay. And that's Peter asking. And then we can also look at Romans 8, 17. And if children heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Okay. This finds favor. All right. Pickles. Hang on one second, guys. Thanks, Pickles. Here, let's show everybody the culprit. This is Pickles. She feels the need, the need for speed. Yeah, Pickles, hey, hey, come on. Quit going underneath the cord. Thank you, sweetie. Wow, well, that was fun. <laughs> Technical difficulties or kitty difficulties. Either way, it's fine. So, really? She's coming, like, out. All right, this is fun. This is a this is a great day for this. All right. <laughs> Where are we? Romans, right? Romans 8. Okay, Romans 8, 17. Uh, and of children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Okay. This is 19 for finds favor for the sake of conscience towards God. A person bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly. Okay. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate example, okay, of suffering unjustly. Okay, lived a perfect sinless life, and he is our example for this. And he lived this, and he's saying, look, if you follow me, if you do this, and if you and if you do end up suffering, it's okay. There is a reward in this. You'll find favor and things will be good for you. Don't worry about this. Don't have fear and, and discernment or don't have fear about this and discern the good that's coming through this. Okay. Look at the other side of this. Now, favor here, um, which in other translations, I got a few notes on this one here. Hang on. That's ah, all right. We won't worry about it. Um, favor which is also comes in some translations as commendable or as a gracious thing, uh, is the Greek for charis or grace or credit, okay? This is saying there's grace for you. You're going to find grace. There is credit being placed upon you for this, for going through this, okay? 20, what credit? For what credit is it? For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, and you endure it with patience. You know, what credit is there? If you deserve the punishment, guess what? You're receiving your reward. You're receiving the punishment that you deserve and that you're due, okay? And it's saying that there's no credit for going through this with patience, right? You're, it's good that you're handling yourself appropriately, but you're getting what you deserve for this. And that's kind of a harsh word, but it's also reality and it's honest and it's true, okay? If you deserve it and you get it, you just get what you deserve, right? There's no extra reward in it for that. There's nothing there for you, but to suffer patiently, if you're getting evil for good, see when it says, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Okay. R return, getting evil for good. I, it says here, you know, I wrote in here that it is commendable. It's not commendable for them to give evil for good. 
but it is commendable to suffer through it and look on the other side because returning evil for evil is never going to show someone good. You're never going to turn someone to God for that. You're never going to show someone God with that. God is the judge. We are not the judge. We allow God and we wait for God to do his part in this. Our job, our call is to love. Peter is telling people here, guess what? Even if the times are bad and you're suffering through this, which you are suffering through this at this point, again, massive persecution happening all over the place, okay, in this time. So you're being persecuted, you're a slave, so you're already persecuted, plus you're now a Christian under massive Christian persecution, so you're getting doubly persecuted. Go through it. Your calling is to love, and you love people. Let God be the judge. Let God handle this. You push through this with patient perseverance, winning people over with your life, not with evil, okay? I'm sure most of us have heard the expression, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And that's what this whole section is about. This entire section is about, look, we live this with our lives and people see this. You know, he talked about this earlier where they're continual and they're constant watching is going to show that. And when Christ comes and the spirit comes, they're there, that they've seen it and they've seen what the difference that is. And your life, how you live your life matters and it shows God to the world. Okay, gospel and work continued. We're going 21 to 25, 21. You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. Okay, this is, this is kind of a, a touchy point. It's kind of an awkward thing to think of. Um, wait, we've been called to suffer? I What? That, that just doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel right, right? But it is part of the Christian call. It's not God's calling saying, hey, I want my people to suffer. No, but it is part of this fallen world, okay? You're, you have to pick a side. Either you're on God's side or you're on the world's side. And unfortunately, the world's side is a fallen side and it's a sin-filled side. And they don't like each other. There's issues between the two. And if you're on God's side, you're going to be persecuted by the world. And that's just how it is. And that's what we're going to see here in Acts 5.29. But Peter, uh, 5.29, excuse me, and then also 40 to 42. This is a large section, so I just kind of cut it up. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now, the apostles were brought in um, to council, in the Jewish council, to uh, honestly to answer some questions. that they, they were preaching in the name of Jesus, and the council had already told them, you cannot preach in the name of Jesus, because they were teaching in the synagogues Christianity. They were teaching Jesus inside the, the synagogues. And the council, the Jewish council said, you can't do this. And so they've been brought back and they said, we're hearing you're doing this again. Are you really doing this? You can't. We already told you not to do this. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Okay. And then the council sends them out so that they can discuss. And at the end of the council, basically one of the council members turns and says, hey, if this is from God, there's nothing we can do about this. But we'll, we'll just see. And so they bring them back in at 40 and they took his advice, right? And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. Wow, that's a beautiful sentiment right there. They took his advice to let him go, tell him not to do this. But remember, if this is God's will, there's nothing we can do to stop this. Wisdom right there. If it's God's will, we're not stopping this. And they bring him back in and they flog them. They beat them physically and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Then they released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. See, they, they rejoiced. Christ suffered. And he died for our sins. It's, he goes and he talks about this here and just a little bit later here as well, but he died for our sins. And so for us to be able to partake in some of that suffering was a form of, it's something that we can actually rejoice in. 
that we get to partake in part of what God did for us as well. Now, Jesus was the ultimate example. We discussed this just a minute ago. Jesus is the ultimate example in how he lived. He lived the perfect life. He lived a sinless life. Think about this. Christ lived the ultimate, perfect, sinless life. Didn't do anything wrong under God's eye. God's eye is the measure of what is right and wrong. Did nothing wrong in over 30 years. And how was he rewarded here on earth? Persecution, beatings, being spit on, crucified. I mean, it's lived a lot. Like it just, a lot of stuff happened to him. And he was our perfect example. And if the perfect example of God and God's love here on earth is treated that way, we need to actually understand that chances are, if we're close to that, if we're getting close to God, life might not always be easy. And that's, that's what he's getting at. His life isn't always going to be easy, but we need to rejoice through the bad and also trust that God is judge and God's going to take care of it in the long run, right? God is in control. God will handle this. Okay. 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, right? This is also going with his perfect example of the perfect life, right? But the no deceit found in his mouth is pulled directly from Isaiah 53, uh, Isaiah 53, nine, which says, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. It is directly pulled from Isaiah 53, 9. And Jesus returned evil for good in 23. And while being reviled, he didn't revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus returned good for evil. He didn't repay a curse for a curse, right? And he trusted God the Father. Again, he was our perfect example, and he trusted the Father. He trusted God to judge because God judges righteously, and God will take care of this in the end. Uh, I know this name is going to uh, trigger some people, but that's okay. Um, at one point, Mark Driscoll came out, and he wrote... I don't think it was in Doctrines. What was it? It was, it was uh, Letters from Love, I think, was the book that Driscoll had written on this. Um, and one of the points that he, he points out here is, uh, if blood is due, God will take the blood. God will get the blood. It's, 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 it's really raw. It's really dirty concept. But at the same time, it's honesty. God's going to take what God's due. If there's punishment that needs to be taken out and handed out, God's going to be the one that hands it out. That is not our job to hand that out. It is God's job to hand that out. Our job is to love. Okay. Christ was our example of that. At 24, Jesus took our sins on the cross. This is an interesting concept here. Not that Jesus took our sins on the cross. Okay. But read this. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds, you were healed. Now, what's interesting is I want to point out here in just a second, it's on, it's on the screen there, but okay, look at this really fast as well. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, live to a certain way of life, live out this way of life. Okay. There's action. This is a call to action, right? That we can live action to righteousness to this style of life, right? For by his wounds, you were healed. Now wounds in the Greek here, this is actually a singular, which is odd because we see it with an S. This is a plural for us, but it is actually a singular. And what this represents is it's telling us that the atonement are the wounds that he suffered that healed us and that took away our sins, our atoning sacrifice that happened was at the cross and only at the cross. This was not a culmination of all of the activity that had happened prior. The cat of nine tail whippings was not part of this. The, the, the crown of thorns was not a part of this. Um, the, all of the other persecution that he hadn't handled that had nothing to do with our atonement. This was an example. This was, that was example for what life can be like and was what it's probably going to look like, right? It was an example of living and showing us and also fulfilling prophecy going through life, okay? But the atoning act happened specifically at the cross and only at the cross, which is why the cross is so significant to Christians. Uh, 
Okay. And uh, 25 pulls again from Isaiah 53. Uh, For you were continually straying like sheep. That section pulls from Isaiah 53, which is Isaiah 53, 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, him being Jesus, right? So straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian, which we could say, and the guardian of your souls. Now these are capitalized because they're titles, right? Okay. They're significant here. Shepherd is another word throughout scripture for pastor, guardian, or overseer, depending on your translation, they're used interchangeably, uh, is a term for bishop or elder, right? Okay. Now this is the only place, First Peter chapter 2, verse 25, is the only place in scripture where the term for pastor as a shepherd and guardian, as in reference to uh, church leadership, okay? This is the only place in scripture that that is singular. And this is saying that Jesus is the only one who is qualified to head the church. He is the shepherd. He is the church's shepherd. He is the church's pastor. He is the guardian and overseer. He's the bishop, okay? Uh, Pastor being over a flock, bishop being over a region, right? Okay, so Jesus is the only one qualified to fully head the church, okay? That is only Jesus who is the single pastor. He is the single bishop. He is the single authority. Everyone else goes underneath, and that's this is interesting, but it points out that how important the language is, and and unfortunately, it also shows something that I point out a lot. Unfortunately, uh, is how bad the English language is. But this points that out is that this is a singular showing that Christ, that Jesus, is the only one qualified for that. That He is being the Messiah. He is the head. Now we go into the fun. Okay. The other parts have been incredibly important for life as we've been dealing right now because there's so much debate of, do we honor the governor's authority? You know, here in Idaho, uh, people question whether or not the governor has the right to do this mandate. Um, According to the Constitution, he actually does, but we're not going to go over that right now. Um, The question is, you know, do we honor this? Do we do this? How far do we submit? And the answer to that is, look at your Bible. If they're not going against scripture, then you should submit. Okay, weigh it out with your with your heart and your soul, but we all need to weigh that out. But scripture tells us we are to submit to our, those authorities. And same with work. Even under persecution or under house arrest at this point, right? We still have to submit to work and to the authority given there. And so you have earthly authority, your government, down to your work, down to now household. And that's the section and that's how this is. He did this and it's all linked together. Governing authority of of the uh, location of your government, down to your work authority, down to your household authority. Okay, he went through this in a very strategic way. Okay, chapter three, verse one: Wives, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Okay, same way. This is Peter saying, like all Christians, like I just said to everyone. That's Peter saying it. Like I said to everyone, everyone, you are to willingly to submit to authority. And Peter is saying that wives, you are also to submit to your husbands, just in that same way that you are submitting to your governing authority and you're submitting to your workplace authority. Wives, you are to submit to your husband authority, correct? With an understanding of Ephesians 5.25, which says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That this authority over you is there out of love, okay? The husband's authority is out of love, okay? And so it's this, you are to submit under, but understand that that authority is there for out of love, okay? Uh, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them who are disobedient to the word they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. Okay, verses one to two, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, non-Christian husbands can be turned and won to Christ by the love and action of their wives. 
This says a lot. It actually talks about the power the wife has inside of the household. Okay? Even if your husband doesn't know Christ, he doesn't know Jesus, he doesn't live a godly life the way you live your life, not by, notice it says here, without word. Okay? Without a word. Not preaching at him. Not, as I hate to say the characteristic trait here because I know I'm going to hear about this later, but not, not nagging. Okay? Not preaching. Not nagging. Without a word. With the life that you live the love and the grace that you have and that you give, a husband can see that and can be turned by that and won to Christ by that. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, obviously, this is uh, um, not a woman writing. This is, <laughs> this is Paul, who I'm pretty sure was a guy, but it's okay. This is It brings a good point with this, okay? So, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. Okay, think about this in the context of a wife winning their husband over. Okay, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, okay, it's just also referencing Jews again, all right, under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law. Though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Which, as we said earlier, pause there, as we said earlier, can be summed up in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Okay? So that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow a fellow partaker of it. Says a lot. You have a lot of power in the household by this, in the way that you live your life. This brings a lot of power in the house, okay? Three to four, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding of the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable or incorruptible quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. This is saying that your character needs to be more important to you than your apparel. And that sounds like a statement saying that women are incredibly shallow. That's not what we're trying to say. Okay, that's not what's being said, is that women are shallow. No, 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 no. But what it's saying is the attention that you put on that to make yourself beautiful, you need to put more attention into your heart into the type of person and the type of woman that you're being, the way you handle your household, the way you handle yourself, the way you treat your husband, the way you treat your children, the way you treat yourself out in the world, that needs to be more important than what we're doing with the physical, okay? And this is going to come from 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God cares about your heart. That's where he's looking. And that also is where your husband's going to see. So we change things with our heart. Five and six. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, Lord being out of respect, not worship. Okay, that is not a worship statement. He is not God. Um, okay, that is just a respectful term. It is lowercase l. It's like saying, sir. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Fear is not to be the motive here. Okay, that's what's being said here. Respect, love, affection. Those are your motives. The motives here are your love and your affection and your respect for your husband, for God, 
right? Those are two different entities, right? Okay, just making it clear. Fear should not be a part of that. I'm not saying every husband is a good man. I'm not saying every husband treats his wife the way that he should. But fear should not be the driving factor for how you live and how you treat your husband. But love, affection, and respect. And if you're missing one of those for your husband, draw on that from the Lord. Draw on that for the love or the affection or the respect that you have of God because your actions can change his life. Okay. Now going to husbands. And again, I know I said that this seems not fair that that wives get six verses, husbands get one. But there's so much inside of this. And honestly, this section is very stern in this one verse. You husbands in the same way, same way is another word is likewise. And other translations have this as likewise, which is in a like manner, moreover, furthermore, again, this and more. Okay. Think of that, this and more. You husbands, just what I just said and more, meaning love your wife with an unselfish spirit toward that, that you have with an unselfish spirit towards all Christian citizens. Everything that I have said from government on is applying to you. Husbands, this is an addition to you. Moreover, now you need to love your wife with an unselfish unselfish spirit like you do every other Christian citizen. Okay, we're pulling here from Ephesians 5.25. Again, husbands, love your wives just as Christ so also loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is a big statement, okay? Very big statement. With, with or in an understanding way. Understanding. You need to know your wife. Husbands, you really need to know your wife, which means you need to, as hard as it is for me to say right here, you need to listen to your wife, You have to know her needs. You need to know her wants, her desires, her aspirations, her fears. What keeps her up at night other than indigestion or if she's pregnant, the kicking baby or the dog biting their toes, whatever. You need to know and understand your wife and not just understand here, but you need to understand in your heart, your wife. You two are together. You became one in marriage. You need to know your wife as well, if not better, honestly, than you know yourself. This is a massive command. Okay? As with someone weaker, since she is a woman, this is specifically and only talking about the fact of physical, like a weaker vessel, okay? This is not giving you permission to rule or lord over her, to use your strength As a leverage point, no. This is saying, like any other Christian, that you are either physically stronger or have a greater understanding of the word or anything else. You do not lord over that person. You lift that person up. You come alongside that person and you help and you handle in a way that is out of love and respect, period, because they are all part of God's children. They are all part of the kingdom, right? Because they are all, and he says it here, fellow heirs of the grace. Okay. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. All Christians are. Let's look at Romans 8, 16 to 17, really, really fast. Okay. Romans 8, uh, 16 to 17. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Okay. All Christians are heirs. We are all adopted into God's family. Every Christian is adopted into God's family. We are heirs. Okay. We get the inheritance. We're imbued with the Holy Spirit. We are part of God's 
family. And if you're treating someone else in God's family better than you're treating your wife, you're doing it wrong. And vice versa. I just want to point that out too. If you're lifting your wife up to a status that you don't lift everyone else to, you're also doing it wrong. But remember, your wife and you are a team. You are brought together. You are to treat your wife differently. But if you're lifting other people up above your wife and putting more importance on them than you are your wife, you are doing this wrong. And Peter's telling you that right here. And then he follows it up with one last word. And it is a very disconcerting word. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Let me put this in a way that is a little easier, I think, to understand in, in modern terms. We're all adopted. We're all part of God. Think of God as, like Jesus said, our father, okay? If she is adopted into God's family, if he is her father, she is his daughter. And that father cares how you treat his daughter. And your relationship with him can, and I'm just going to flat say it, will be impacted by that. You have a very massive responsibility in how you handle and how you treat your spouse and how you treat your wife. And if you treat her poorly, how her father here on earth thinks of that, magnify that. God takes that into account. We are held accountable to this, and it can and will impact your relationship with God. So take that to heart, okay? See, wives, women, I told you, this big statement here with God or with, with the guys, okay? God has a lot to say about how men are to handle their spouses as well, and it is a big deal. It is a very, very big deal. Women, you have a lot of power, okay? Yes, the Bible says the weaker vessel, it is a physical thing. We are built, physically built differently, okay? We know this, right? But the power you have in the household is massive, absolutely massive. The way you live and the way you handle yourselves can change the leadership in the house. You can move them and adjust them. Men, you need to understand that you need to know and understand your wives fully and how you treat your wife is going to impact how God treats you and how God's going to listen to your prayers and what he's going to handle your life here on earth with, okay? Keep these things in mind. It's real, okay? Now, takeaways here. This is a big section. We did a lot in this. There's a lot to cover inside of this. So what kind of takeaways can we have here? Yeah, I'm looking at it. We've been here for nearly an hour, okay? This has been a lot to take in. Takeaways. Let's go back to the beginning of the section. We are called, now remember, this is the gospel and social order, right? The social order all around. We are called to submit to authority, even the government authority. Even if we don't like it, if it's not going against scripture, we are still called to submit under this authority. Unless it goes against God's word, we are to honor God by honoring the leadership that he has established. And we saw that in Romans chapter 13. Leadership, government leadership is established by God. We need to respect that. We need to honor God by respecting and submitting under government authority. Okay? Unless it's against God's word, we need to accept this and submit to this. Okay? And that's a hard thing for us, to, especially as Americans. It is a hard thing for us to do sometimes. But it is something that I think we need to take very, very, very seriously. Especially right now. If you don't have a need to be out, please don't be out. Take care of your fellow man. Everyone is created by God. We are all children. Some are lost. Hopefully they're going to come back. Some of them are going to come back. Some of them are here and found. But take care. And one way we can do that right now is by staying home and not making it easier for this virus to spread, okay? That's my word. That's not Bible word. That is your word, okay? Uh, next point, work like no one else, okay? And take the bad for your good if needed, okay? Here's the deal. 
As Christians, we are actually called to hold ourselves to a different accountability and a different standard. You need to do your work, even if you think it is the crappiest work in the world. You're cleaning toilets for a living and people can't flush anymore. I don't know. It is terrible, terrible work. Do it like you're doing it for God, because quite frankly, you are. This is where God has you. This is part of your ministry. That is so hard for people to understand. Your work is also part of your ministry. If you are part of the body of Christ, you are a missionary here on earth. You have action to do. There is a purpose for your being here. Whether it's to support the body, whether it's to work with people outside, it doesn't matter. What you do and how you live your life is essential and it is part of God's kingdom. And so we are held to a higher standard and we need to work in a way like it's more important than what it is to the secular world. Work like no one else because you're doing it for God. Okay. And submit even to that authority, not God, but your workplace authority. Wives, you should submit to your husbands, but out of love, and respect, not out of fear. Okay. Again, I'm not saying every husband's perfect. I'm not saying every husband is great, but keep in mind, if for some reason you're missing one section of that, and I'm just going to repeat this really fast. If you're missing one section of that, that love, that affection, or that respect, if something has happened inside of your relationship with your husband and you're missing one of those sections, Pull that from that, what you have of God. If it's a love, you love God, so you need to show that love to your husband. If it's respect because your husband's made bad choices, which happens, we all do, pull it from the respect that you have for God because how you live your life and how you treat your spouse can change him. Okay, I'm not saying you can change people but I'm saying the way you treat him, it can change his mood and it can help him make better decisions and things can become better, okay? You can have an impact on your husband. And husbands, you are to love and you are to know your wives fully. You need to listen to them, not just on the dating show style games. What's, what's their favorite color? No, push beyond that. Push beyond the superficial. What are her actual fears? What are her desires? What does she want to do? Is she leery about some move or some action that you guys are about to undertake? You need to know. You guys need to communicate about this thing, about these things. And you need to know your wife on a very, very deep and very intimate level. Take that time and that energy. Grow together because you two are one. As a spouse, you are one. You need to live like you're one, okay? And remember that God cares how you treat his daughter and that can and will affect your relationship with him, okay? Let's pray about this, guys. Father, I want to thank you so much again for today. It's Saturday, at least right here uh, in Nampa, Idaho. The, the sun is shining. It looks like it's going to be a nice and lovely day, God. I just thank you for that. Uh, I thank you for the leadership that you have put over, God, that you have in the world. Even if we don't agree with some of the things that they're saying and some of the things that they're doing, God, I thank you. And we thank you for that leadership because your word tells us that these leadership, the leadership comes because you have allowed it to, that you, you have appointed that, God. So we thank you for that leadership. And we ask that you give us the wisdom and the discernment to know when is the right time to fully submit and when do we need to weigh things out in our heart and our soul because things aren't quite right, God. We ask that you give us discernment in this and that you speak to us with this and that you give us wisdom and timing on the right and appropriate way to handle situations, God. I thank you for work and I thank you even for the people who Unfortunately, right now we're out of work or can't go to work because of this situation, God. I ask you for, for provision and perseverance, God, that you make things happen, that you have things work out for your glory and also for the good of your people, Father. And I ask this for everyone worldwide. This is a worldwide 
thing happening right now, God. This COVID-19 is everywhere. It's not just here in the States. It's worldwide, God. And I ask that you lift up all of our brothers and sisters across the globe and that you lift up even people who are not the brothers and sisters, God, that you lift up people who haven't known you and don't know you, God, and that you show yourself to them in a way that they come to find you. I ask that you help wives with their portion of the house and how their relationship with their husbands go. And God, I ask that you also do the same for husbands, that they show the dignity and love and affection and honor that their wives and their spouses are due. God, please be with us and bless us. Help us not go crazy and stir crazy and cabin fever crazy in these times of of being stuck at home. God, I ask that you continue to be with us. Give us the grace to make it through this and the wisdom to make it through this. And God, just help us through this. And for those who are going out and working because they are deemed essential employees, because their work is essential right now, God, I ask that you be with them, that you give them strength and protection, God. Help keep them healthy and well. God, protect them. Be with our doctors. Be with our farmers. God, be with the police and the medical, uh, with the fire. Everyone, God, just continue to be with us. Show your favor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, that is First Peter chapters 2, verse 13, all the way to chapter 3, verse 7 with the gospel and the social order. Uh, Come back and uh, check it out again on Thursday. We're going to go through the next section here on Peter and just continue going through Peter and digging into the word. Uh, Be there for one another, guys, with love and respect.